서울생활정보 출산편 축하합니다. 출산 축하 선물로 아기 수유 세트, 건강 세트, 외출 세트 중 하나를 드립니다. 그럼 저희는 아기 수유 세트를 선택할게요. 산후조리 도움입니다. 산모의 건강관리, 신생아 돌보기, 집안 정리 정돈을 도와드려요. 감사합니다. 저희 부부에게 많은 도움이 될것 같아요. 7월 서울시 모든 출산 가정에 육아용품 지원과 산후조리 도우미 서비스를 실시합니다. 자세한 내용은 보건소와 동주민센터로 문의하세요. 이 캠페인은 내 삶의 즐거운 변화를 만들어가는 서울특별시와 함께합니다. Um, did you happen to hear the thing at the top of the show about uh, Yeido and um, Yongsan, the plans to redevelop I did those? hear a bit of that when I was sitting out there outside the studio. My mind went straight to the scene outside Seoul Station. And what, what, what do you see at night there? You see a giant video screen, right? Yeah, it's a giant video screen on the building across... Seoul it, Square is the name of that building. That's right. And... Uh, to be honest, it, I don't know how you manage it. There, it just happens to be a vector, as the main central station is in so many cities, for um, people who are kind of hard up, down yes, on their luck. It always comes people. up when when Soulites complain about Seoul. Yeah. One thing they mention is, but all the, all the homeless people, you ask, where are the homeless people? Yeah. We come from America. We think we should be seeing them on every block. Right. People say, well, what about Seoul Station? Okay, I'll give you that. But that's the only place like that. Yeah. So you do have this giant video screen always displaying video artworks, and you have the sort of down and out sector of Seoul there on their spread out cardboard mm-hmm. below at the, at the station across the street. You do get a, a high and low at once there. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting. And in between Seoul Station and Yongsan, uh, it's a bit of a dead zone aesthetically and not a lot going on. Uh, it would be interesting to see something truly urban on the scale of like a DDP or whatever they're planning to build there um, crop up and uh, sort of immediately gentrify the area. We'll see. And our listeners will remember that there's uh, Solo 7017 right by Seoul Station as well. So the urbanist development of that area has in some sense already begun. That's right. On to the main topic of the day, Colin. Uh, we are building on a conversation uh, that actually we I started here with uh, Mark Wilson in his Artistic Wanderings one week. 
he brought us uh, some selections from a group in Seoul. I believe it's a Facebook group called uh, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk Seoul, run by a photographer named Steve Rowe, who, yes, was on this show, an English expatriate here in Seoul. But there's also Noe Alonso, who was, I believe, from Texas, who's doing a lot of photography of the cyberpunk side of Seoul as well. And by no means are those two guys the only ones. But I listened to that segment, and that's part of my—it was part of my research for a piece I wrote Mm. about cyberpunk Seoul that was published uh, just on— Monday, in fact. Noe, uh, in particular, I'm sure these other guys do too, but I know Noe a bit better, um, takes these unbelievably beautiful pictures of sort of soul alleys at night, and there's all kinds of neon happening. Changma season is perfect for it because there's usually puddles on the ground that reflect the neon back up, and uh, it gives this real cyberpunk look. There will be some listeners who don't quite get what I mean when I say a cyberpunk look. What would you say that means? Yes, it's one of those aesthetics you you know when you see it. We were just talking about Soul Station with a giant video screen on Soul Square and the... the sort of poorer uh, sectors of Seoul society spread out on the station across this uh, below the station across the street. There's this phrase high tech and low life often used to describe cyberpunk where technology is very advanced more advanced than today because it's essentially a genre of science fiction the low life element comes in because it mixes sci-fi with noir film Uh noir detective stories uh real visions of the dark side of the urban environment of the american city typically around the sort of world war ii era combined with the future and you mix all those together, you get an unmistakable look where, yes, there's there's rain and there's fog and there's smog and there are crowds with their umbrellas out and there are cracked sidewalks and crumbling buildings, but also glossy new towers and high tech and personal technology, especially, but also very impersonal technology brought onto the city by a series of corporate conglomerates or other types of uh, invading invading businesses from other sides of the world. Yeah. All these things come together. What do you think of when you think of cyberpunk? Well, I mean, I think you described it perfectly. I think of uh, the sterile and bright and colorful video image juxtaposed with the dark, gritty, rainy, sooty uh, streets. You know, you'll have, right. I mean, some of those, op- the, the, the classic sort of visual that most people will have will be the original Blade Runner, which was what, about 1982? Yeah, or 1982, like that. Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, which wasn't successful in 1982, but has been so influential, it's almost made cyberpunk what it is today. Yes. There are pre Blade Runner books and even some comics or even television shows that were proto cyberpunk, mm-hmm. but Blade Runner crystallized what cyberpunk still is. Right. And, you know, some of those opening wide shot scenes where you'll see this. Utterly crowded city, pouring rain, dark, and a whole alley full of, you know, poor, you know, noodle shop salesmen. And then above it, a crystal clear, uh, beautiful, attractive video image of a, a, a geisha woman saying, you know, come to the, I don't know if she's saying that. She's probably advertising more noodles, but yes, uh, a blimp goes by and example. says, come to the off-world colonies yes. and start again. Right. Um, this is, these are the iconic Blade Runner images, yeah. and this is the city of Los Angeles, as it says in the opening, the very first shot of the film, Los Angeles, November 2019. So it's coming up yeah. in real life, but this is a Los Angeles made to look like a Japanese city, because yeah. as you say, this was 1982, when what was the fear? Japan was going to be number one. The, Japan Inc. Yes, Japan Inc. Going to eat our lunch. <laughs> going to eat our lunch, going to take over the world, going to buy up everything from movie studios to downtown Los Angeles itself. They were building a lot of skyscrapers at that time. And 
this was a fear that became an aesthetic. Japan is the future. Therefore, Japan is going to overtake an American city. And what city is more associated with the movies than Los Angeles? That is the vision of Blade Runner presented. Or if not overtake, pollute. Uh, You know, so much. Everybody speaks this mishmash of half Chinese, Japanese, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, Japanese lettering is all over our Los Angeles city. Mm -hmm. And it was this sort of invasion of uh, the, the business model, the aesthetic. So what people were afraid of in 1982 in cyberpunk land was... Uh, Japan is that if I made a 2018 cyberpunk movie could I even do that is the fear and the dystopia still existent well I'll tell you what I saw when I went to Los Angeles in February I hadn't been back since I moved to Korea coming into downtown from the airport it was nighttime dark I look up and I see a new skyscraper that wasn't done when I was last in Los Angeles the Wilshire Grand Center what's at the top of it but a giant glowing video screen showing the Korean Air logo. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Korea is the new Japan. Is that what you're saying? Well, that, that logo looks a lot like the flag of South Korea. I think we've all noticed the resemblances. But then I looked down and I saw a tent village, a, a tent village made up, made up of, I mean, I guess their homes are the tents, but we would call them homeless, that had cropped up underneath a freeway underpass. So I saw the high and the low in Los Angeles of 2018, all in one view. Okay. That's what 2018 cyberpunk looks like in Los Angeles, I suspect. Well, I mean, there's something quaint about uh, the idea of the old idea of technology as this uh, sort of jungle that we live in Mm -hmm. rather than something that uh, actually improves the landscape. I mean, you could argue that in 2018, all of our mobile technology uh makes a city a bit more breathable you know you don't need 17 taxi cabs lined up when i can press a button and have the guy across the city know that i need a taxi cab you know what i mean or the navigability alone finding your way from place to place that's the world has changed because of that just because of knowing how to get where you're going by just typing in where that happens to be that's right and so if we are looking for cyberpunk elements in seoul that Mm -hmm. after all is what we're talking about Mm -hmm. Are we inherently looking for retro, or is there present modern-day cyberpunk? You know, cyberpunk, I think, has an innately retro component to it, because it's about the existence of new and old together. And that's kind of a cliche when describing Korea, that it's a mixture of new and old, and sometimes Korea is even marketed in that way. But think about other cyberpunk possibilities. You could say... Aren't these new cities being built in China, cyberpunk? Wouldn't they have built one last week of 5 million people, everything gleaming, everything corporate? Yes, but nothing is old in those cities, so far as I can tell. Here in Seoul, one of these things cyberpunk photographers love is the neon, the old neon. That's right. You, know, you look at just a dabang or a hopu, they still have all their old neon from the 1980s or even 1970s, still glowing as bright as ever, it seems like, in most cases. There's still, there's so many cell phones, as you say, but there are payphones still up. And this is one thing that William Gibson, an iconic author of uh, cyberpunk, whose novel Neuromancer did much to define the genre, as much as Blade Runner, in a way. Yep. He gets made fun of, or he makes fun of himself, because uh, Neuromancer was from 1984. It's set in a futuristic japan and its characters all still use payphones. there are no cell phones he missed out on the cell phone part of the future but in a way it actually works because he uses the payphones as a kind of 
ambient device in the film, and they still exist, whether in Japan or whether in Korea. You've, you've seen how many payphones there still are, right? What's yeah. going on with that? I can remember needing payphones. Oh, yes. You know, as can you probably. Yes. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I Every now and then I see a payphone on a corner or something <laughs> like that. It's more than you expect here, though. Yeah. Well, I, you, you know when I remember payphones is the airport. Uh-huh. Uh, you'd arrive somewhere and there'd be banks and banks and banks of payphones, and you'd be impatiently waiting for somebody to get off a call so that you could uh, call your ride or call mom or whatever it is. Yes. Um, so it is unmistakably a retro element. You know? And one thing that was emphasized by Steve Rowe and Noe Alonso in the interview, I believe here on Koreascape, was that they like to see visible, they like to see the technology being made visible. They like to see the cables and the wires. The technological infrastructure needs to be seen. And this is often more seen on the underside of a city than in the gleaming sort of Tehran no Gangnam side of things. Uh, They like to see the, the, the exposed wiring in the way you would see it on an actual electronic device. You see the guts of the city's technology in a true cyberpunk vista. Yeah. And it's always night in cyberpunk. It's yes. never daytime. There's never a daytime scene. I guess in Blade Runner, that was because the earth was so polluted that it was a permanent night. Um, but I, I think it, it's soul's identity as a night city. This is a real 24-hour, almost better at night than at day city. It's what's always emphasized. And I mean, I was writing recently at the Los Angeles Review of Books about the late Anthony Bourdain and the way that he portrayed Seoul. And it was very, very focused on the nightlife, that Seoul comes alive at night. That's when the video screens are seen clearly. That's when the, the drinks are imbibed. That's when, that's when the real life happens. That's when the life you want to see, the, life's, the life that Seoul has become known for yes. happens. Yes. And you really notice it when you're not in Seoul. There's sort of like an addiction that brings you back to Seoul after a while. And, and Koreans have, uh, from time to time, complained. Like, if they'll go study in the United States, they'll say, it's so boring here. <laughs> because after 11 or 12, right. everything is pretty much shut down. And after 6 or 7, in many smaller places, towns and cities, uh, everything just kind of dies out. Well, you've heard that saying, right, where there's a saying here in Korea about the decision between staying in Korea or moving to the West, that you can pick between... You can pick between a boring heaven and an exciting hell. The boring <laughs> which is, heaven which being is the West. Yes, oh, the, exci- okay. the, exci- the, the exciting, exciting hell is, this, is, is Korea in this frame. I'm not saying I necessarily agree <laughs> with it, but I've heard this saying oftentimes. You can stay in a place that's uncomfortable but exciting, or you can go to a place that's comfortable but dull. That's the choice this, uh, this question presents you. And in a way, it works with this sort of cyberpunk ethos because cyberpunk is always kind of dystopian, or to put it mildly, kind of, right? It makes you uneasy. I I don't know. It's a weird state of emotion when you are in a convincing, uh, fictionalized, or or realistic cyberpunk scenario. It's, uh, it's, It's kind of a comfortable feeling of unease. You know, you're surrounded. It's like a surrender to technology. You know, all of this wonderful technology, and I've given up everything for it, but here we are, you know? One of the retro aspects here of the dystopia, there's a documentary about Los Angeles and film called Los Angeles Plays Itself, which has a section on Blade Runner. And the narrator says something that has stuck with me. He says, you know, Blade Runner, for all its flaws, it still compels. Why is it? Maybe because the the dystopian future it, it presents is at least sublime yeah it's it's attractive in an almost frightening way whereas the real future seems like it's going to be hotter duller 
uh, the robots aren't going to be cool. They're going to take our jobs. So there is a retro appeal in that sense as well, what the future used to be. I picture the real uh, mega city of the future as very quiet mm. um, because you're going to have uh, marketing transactions and things like that cleared online for the most part. Your driverless car, which is uh, hydrogen or electric with no honking sounds or engine sounds mm -hmm. is going to very quietly putter along as it delivers your goods to your apartment complex um, and there's just not going to, you know, we think of the city as, you know, honk, honk, beep, beep and uh, all of this sort of, you know, jackhammers fixing the concrete. The future <laughs> yes. of the city, you know, of the future uh, made out of whatever it is, tri-weave, plexiglass, <laughs> this and that, that lasts for a hundred years uh, and no automobile sounds is going to be eerily quiet i think what you're describing is almost like a 1970s pre-cyberpunk vision of the future where mm -hmm. you know you look at every era what sci-fi or what what visions of the future do they have and it changes and you know a long time ago 19th century there's a lot of visions of technological progress bringing with it moral progress yeah and cyberpunk threw that out the window yeah but then you know you, as you mentioned there there is the antiseptic the frictionless future idea that idea still exists and in a way may still be realized we don't know until we get there of course but soul if you look at it it has so much of what the blade runner los angeles had yeah. it has the tall towers it has the corporate conglomerates whose logos are everywhere it has the the escape to if not off-world colonies then to the heights up actually above the city and towers mm -hmm. it has the tight integration of personal technology in everyone's life. Uh, in America, there's people who still avoid using smartphones or indeed cell phones in Seoul. That doesn't happen, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to conceive, is there an inherently Asian thing uh, when it comes to the cyberpunk aesthetic? Because, you know, along with the technology, it's people living in extraordinarily crowded, tightly packed conditions and vertical which you right. think of Asia, don't you? You think of Asia, and this has been criticized because cyberpunk is a Western genre of, it's a Western genre of story, essentially a Western genre of storytelling. And recently, uh, was it last year? Yeah, last year, the new, the remake of Ghost in the Shell, which was an animated film from the mid 90s, one of the other canonical cyberpunk works, it got a live action remake starring ah, Scarlett Johansson. That's right. Which I watched here in Seoul, in fact. You know, it had, it had its, its good and bad points, but it was heavily criticized for casting Scarlett Johansson in a role that in, at least America, among many groups, was seen as a role that should have gone to an Asian-American actor. Well, or an Asian. And, you know. Right. And the movie has problems. That's maybe not the main one, yeah. but I can understand their criticism. And it, there's a wider criticism that's been made on the back of that, which is about cyberpunk entirely, which is that, hey, you know, cyberpunk's always set in a and effectively an Asian city, whether or not it's actually an Asian city. It's a city made Asian. Mm -mm. Uh, why are there so few Asian people. I mean, you think of Neuromancer, Gibson's novel. It's set in Chiba City, Japan. Mm -hmm. And there is, I think, one Japanese character of the entire cast. Yeah. And it's a fair criticism in terms of realism. And I wonder if Seoul is the next cyberpunk city, that means the next cyberpunk city is going to be more Asian because, you know, we're foreigners here, but there's not a lot of foreigners in Seoul. And you, it's hard to imagine the city becoming as foreign as... Uh, some of these cities you see in cyberpunk i don't know i think that uh asian city planners i, I they kind of like the, the the cyberpunk thing because um it means hyper modern right and i think that uh modern asia tiger asia uh kind of likes the idea of being hyper modern and 
you know, beyond the old narratives. It's true. You know, what is code for modernity? Japan was code for the future in 1982. Yeah. What is, what's the signal now? What, sh- what is the future? What looks futuristic when you see it? What means the future? You know, where you can really get into this debate is with urbanism in perhaps some developing economies. Mm. You know, what does the, uh, you know, the Indian subcontinent cyberpunk city of the future look like? What right. does the sub-Saharan African uh, cyberpunk city of the future look like? Or it's is such true. a thing an oxymoron? In conversations with cyberpunk enthusiasts about what is the next cyberpunk city, you know, Seoul is an option, but so are as you say, cities in India, so are cities in Africa. And it's it's counterintuitive in, in a way, but you think of what's going on in these cities, how cell phone technology, how the internet, how personal technology of all kinds has been not just adopted, but inhaled by these cities. You see practices that go back hundreds and even thousands of years coexisting with the newest of the new, people running their businesses using one generator and an iPhone they've repaired, bought on the black market, mm-hmm. somehow, and they're interacting, selling, uh, they're, they're selling commodities trading commodities with Tokyo, yes. with New York, with Completely the rest of the world. the 20th century, in essence. Yes, this is, this is cyberpunk in a way. It is. It's, you know, rural cyberpunk. <laughs> rural cyberpunk. That might be the future of cyberpunk. <laughs> That's an, Somebody ought to do like a, yeah, a rural cyberpunk thing of, you know, a tiny African village and what's going on digitally below the surface. This is what technologists in the 90s predicted in the West. They said, look, the internet's coming. You can be anywhere doing anything. You can live in the woods and you can run your tech company as if that was something everybody was going to want to do. But in Africa, in India, less so India, more so in Africa, you see this actually happening. People in agrarian societies jumping to the forefront of what's technologically possible. Did you happen to see Ready Player One? I haven't, though I heard it come up on this on your segment with the cyberpunk photographers. It's cyberpunk, isn't it? Well, it's worth mentioning because it's a cyberpunk esque future mm. where you really see the dystopia uh, it's not like gleaming skyscrapers and all of this stuff and uh, aesthetically charming little rainy alleys <laughs> it's truly something has terribly gone wrong with humanity and literally those sort of mobile homes are stacked on top of each other as de facto apartment buildings yes. and you have to climb up the scaffolding and all of this and people immerse themselves in virtual simulations that's a, i think a core element of of cyberpunk is this immersing yourself in virtual worlds you know this kid spends all day in a virtual simulation and i think a lot of koreans kind of do that too it's a dystopian with, vision for our time right and we're just at the the tiptoe at the very beginning of that aren't we i mean mm-hmm. mobile phone games are one thing what happens when there's a truly photo video realistic immersive virtual world that we can go into. I have a feeling Korea and its gamers are going to be very interested in that when it comes along. They are absolutely going to lead the way in that. And I think it's going to be uh, not just, you know, game plans and, you know, blow up this or that or, you know, kill the aliens. Um, They're going to come up with virtual worlds to accomplish just about everything. Virtual supermarkets, for example, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think we're... I don't know what to think about it. Yeah. But it's coming, some version of it is coming, whether or not we like it. Well, I mean, you're, I, you've got the, the sort of right mindset, because when I think of Colin Marshall, I think of a, an old-fashioned guy with very <laughs> forward and futuristic sensibilities. So, and and certainly, you know, you're from two hypermodern cities, Los Angeles and now Seoul, with quite a bit of Japan experience in between. Who owns the future cyberpunk city? Do you reckon it's Asia, or is it America, or is it somewhere else? Asia is the classic idea, but it's more that's the classic 
sense of cyberpunk. And if you want to experience classic cyberpunk, I would say come to Seoul. But the future, I'm getting more and more compelled by these arguments for Africa all the time. Yeah. But you know, you're right. Maybe it's going to be someplace we haven't even considered. That tends to be where the future comes from, right? Is where I you don't th- think about. The global south, in some ways, has a fresh slate, especially mm. when it comes to uh, smaller places becoming megacities. And if they play their cards right, then they may have the template in the future for what an amazing city looks like without the dystopia, hopefully. Colin, that's our time. I appreciate you coming in, and I'll talk to you again soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you.